Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Creativity is a cycle. An artist, be it a painter, a sculptor, an actor, a musician, a writer, creates a piece that originated in their mind. It expresses something within them that is urgently trying to get out. The process of creation is completed by the audience. It isn't enough to write a play. It's a little bit better to write a play and have it put together and rehearsed by a group of actors, but it isn't complete until it is performed in front of an audience, where within that collective experience, emotions are felt, ideas shared, even lessons learned. That reaction from the audience is what makes a piece whole. Over 20 years ago, I started the process of creating the story of Kier. 20 years. It's crazy. It has been through a lot of evolution. (laughs) Over a year ago, I decided to start this podcast and bring my work to life. I've also published the audiobook versions without all of the interruptions. I've received so many comments and reactions to my story because of having shared it in this medium. At the end of each episode, I thank you, my listeners, my audience. As this book, Gatekeeper's Deception, draws to a close and I'm forced to leave you all hanging while I complete the final part of the story, I want to thank you. Even though you're listening as individuals, you are part of a unique group of wonderful people who have stayed with me for all these weeks and months, some of whom have shared your reactions to the story with me, and some of whom simply continue to listen. Sincerely, thank you for being my audience and completing that cycle of creativity and sharing that collective emotional experience. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 35 I Don't Need Glory They had provided Kier with a chair, just in case she was unable to stand for the entire ceremony. That was nice of them, but at the moment she felt better than she had in at least a couple of weeks, physically at any rate. She nodded to Harley, sitting stiff and pale next to Skimnoddle across the aisle. Having heard his story of his defection from Frederick's ranks, his aid and defense of Fennel in the journey to and from the Tree of Life, as well as his friendship with Skimnoddle, Kier was equally appalled as the others by Frederick's assault on old average height guy, and was pleased to see him recovered enough to attend the ceremony. Derry stood solemnly before the dais at the top of the room. He caught her eye, and she smiled encouragingly at him. He hadn't seen a barber yet, but his blonde hair was neatly combed and wisps of curl hung around his ears. He looked magnificent in his full-plate armor. Kier had often described him as proud, but in the past his pride was akin to haughtiness. This was different. Today he was proud of his achievement, and it was well-deserved. Excitement danced in his eyes and seemed to shoot out the tips of his fingers and toes. She stood just to the right of the dais with Fennel to her left. She held her crutch loosely in her left hand, though she no longer depended on it for support. Her sword hung at her hip just for the occasion, its weight on her shoulder and across her chest. 
She caressed its jeweled pommel absently and dreamed about a time that she'd be able to swing it again. The great hall hummed with the low murmurs of a hundred people anticipating an exciting and rare event. Afternoon sunshine streaked through the high windows and dazzled on the full armor worn by many of those present. Kier couldn't suppress her self-satisfaction to see the Lady Alon Mare seated on the dais next to Kian. She still looked peaked and weary, but her smile was warm, and every back in the room was a little straighter upon observing it. Kier nodded inwardly, remembering the night she sat on the foyer staircase in Shale Castle with Fennel, gazing at the lady's portrait. Such a long time ago. By contrast, Kier allowed herself a glance at Valraker. The sight of him sent a stormy grey cast over her soul, despite the sunny occasion. She hated not knowing where she stood with him, and was left feeling a hollowness she didn't know how to fill. Val sat next to Kian, making idle comments she could not hear while he waited to begin the ceremony. Resplendent in his black dress garb and gleaming breastplate enameled with the tree and flower of Eckert, he smiled and nodded to the others of his company, but he didn't meet her eye. Kier wished she weren't mad as hell at the man she used to call her hero. She was disturbed by his lack of response to her breach of the Inden Caves and her ability to speak Dark Elvish, that he had trapped her into showing it. It was downright deceitful. Worse, though, was his stiffness and rejection. Every word of his gloomy visit to her room rankled. The conversation that had started well, but finished with accusations, trickery, and hints of mistrust. Whereas everyone else knew she'd been proved innocent and had at least behaved as if they wished to make it up to her, Valreker had barely given her as much as a nod or a glance since he had returned from Hreth, the minimum to acknowledge her presence. He had neither explained nor apologized for excluding her from the visit to Hreth, and had answered her query with a laconic, "'Your folks are well.' He'd taken her gating for granted, seemingly failing to recognize that the ability was haunting her like a stalker. Surely he ought to offer, if not elucidation, at least some compassion. None of it, though, was enough to snuff out the healthy fury that smoldered over an uncommonly tall, pale man who carried the scent of wildflowers wherever he went. Finally, Kian and Dunverin rose, the dark elf looking every bit worthy of his formal name as his black hair tumbled across his shoulders and his grey eyes shone from beneath his brow. His moustache and beard were trimmed and framed an easy smile meant for everyone but Kier. She frowned, and bile bubbled in her gut. Then she cursed herself for being so angry on Derry's special day. It's Valraker's fault, she thought petulantly, then added, it's also someone else's. My friends, Kean began, I, Kean Barthelen of Heath, Coral, and Shea, and my comrade Dunverin Valraker of Eckert, are proud to be lords of Rydris. We stand here with you, beneath the light of a sun that shines upon all our lands. We share this light with all who daily defend those lands from the yoke of tyranny. Our purpose today is a glad one. Kier hardly heard a word of the ceremony. Kian and the Dark Elf were outlining the story of Alon's sickness and the journey of those who had aimed to eradicate it. There was applause at each of the high points in the tale. Kier studied the wooden arches that held up the ceiling of the hall. Special thanks were being given to the members of the party, more applause for each name. Kier observed the statues situated on pillars about the hall. I'll have to go have a look at who they are. 
Her own name was mentioned, but she just stared ahead of her and fidgeted. Now, said Kean's voice, we are come to the point in this ceremony which gives us the most pleasure. Kier made herself perk up. This was for Derry, and she resolved to disallow her own vexations to detract from Derry's long-awaited moment. To her surprise, Valraker stretched out his hand, and Skimnoddle stepped forward wearing a bright yellow tunic and deep red billowy trousers. With his hands behind his back, he stood with head held high, and his voice rang through the stillness of the hall. O oh, heroes bold, your journey now is ended. Your faces meet our joy upon your return. Our thanks and admiration you have befriended. Our love and faith undying you have earned. Come you now to hear our gladsome voices soar, Till loyal hearts are drawn unto adventure more. Kier heard a chickadee's cheerful chatter out in the courtyard. She drew her attention away from the halfling's heartfelt song to see Valraker of Eckert staring at her, his eyes unreadable. Startled, she frowned and flipped her gaze hastily to Derry. Skimnoddle's singing had made her chest swell with pride and her chin tilt upward with joy in spite of herself. She corrected those positions and scowled. Can we please just get this over with? Val stepped forward. Today is a solemn occasion. The valor that has been shown by this warrior before me is of the highest order. Today we honor the valiant conduct shown by him in defense of his lord, his lands, and his fellows. Derry Morant, in recognition of said valor, I offer you knighthood to me, Dunveran of Eckert, and humbly request your devotion and service. Derry knelt before his lord. Are you resolved to accept this position and uphold the spirit and fealty that it represents? The duke went on. I am, came Derry's voice, clear and confident. Give me your sword. Derry drew his weapon and laid it across his palms to present to his duke. Dunverin gripped it in his right hand and held it high. See here, he cried, this is the sword of a knight of my banner. I give it my blessing. May it serve me and its bearer unerringly. Then he tapped Derry on his right shoulder with the sword before returning it, pommel first, to his hand. I present to you Sir Derry Morant. The crowd erupted in vigorous applause and a tingle went up Kier's back. Derry rose and Kier grinned to see his beaming face. The dark elf embraced him and the new knight approached his friends. Kier shook his hand heartily. "'Congratulations, Sir Derry,' she said warmly. His overabundance of emotions was too much for even the most stoic of captains, and his laugh erupted in spite of himself. "'The ceremony is not yet concluded,' Kean said, and the crowd noise subsided. "'There is one more whose selfless conduct is worthy of recognition.' Kier glanced sidelong at Fennel, and he shrugged down at her. Kean couldn't mean him. Fennel's devotion was to the guarded realm. Jaskellen, perhaps? Kier just couldn't see it. Kier Halladin, said the Duke of Heath. 
Please come forward. She stared at him and didn't move. Derry squeezed her arm. So this is how ice feels when spring hits. She was shaking and she didn't know why. Move your foot, she told herself. Pick up one foot, the other will follow. Somehow she arrived at the front of the dais and stood before the enormous high elf. He spoke above her head, and she observed that Alon's shoes were red. This young woman made no small contribution to myself and my lady. She faced a good many dangerous situations, largely on her own, including being the liaison with the great wizard Kami. She is to be thanked for all her efforts to save the life of my lovely Alon Mare. He said it as if it were an instruction. Huge applause. Kier's face was on fire. I am to be thanked, she thought wryly, but I note he didn't say thanks himself. Alon rose and nodded to her people. I would like, Kian went on, to show my appreciation in the way I know best. Ah, yes, because trying to have my parents killed was such a great display of gratitude. Kier Halliton, in recognition of your valor, I offer you knighthood to me, Kian Barthelen of Heath, and humbly request your devotion and service. The crowd gasped and murmured, but Kier's breath stuck like a dagger in her throat. She felt rather than saw Derry's look of horror, and it didn't take a perceptor to know he was thinking, how's she going to handle this one? Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Fennel's uncertain smile. Only he knew why she'd come on the journey. Kier forced her eyes up to meet Kian's cold stare head on, just like the first time they met. He looked hopeful, and her resolve wavered. A smile began to take shape on her lip. Then she saw the smugness in the duke's grey eye, and the answer came automatically. Lord Kian, I humbly thank you for the offer, and admittedly the opportunity to serve my lady— she bowed toward the woman in question, is an honor, but I'm afraid I cannot accept. And with that, Kier bowed and returned to her place. The hall was so still it might have been empty. Heat swirled up Kier's neck and face like a wave at high tide, and she fervently wished someone would take control of the situation. It was Alon Mare who came to her rescue. We accept and respect Kier's response, however disappointing it may be to be bereft of her exclusive employ. All the same, I thank you, Kier, for all you have done. Relief swept over the audience, and they applauded enthusiastically to make up for the awkward pause. At last, Kier found herself outside. The crowd milled about, enjoying refreshments while servants switched the great hall from ceremony set up to grand feast layout. Sir Derry was surrounded by well-wishers, and admirers of a myriad of shapes and sizes swarmed around Kier's male counterparts, hoping to catch an eye, touch a sleeve, or garner even the briefest of attentions. A word or two would be a brush with greatness. Kier stood apart from them. No one seemed to have the courage or the aspiration to approach the woman who'd refused a most honorable offer from the duke. Suddenly, though, the duke himself took her by the arm and led her, stumbling, away around a corner. He was smiling, but it was for the benefit of the crowd, not for her. Detached from the throng, he whirled her around to face him, which she did, undaunted by the way he towered over her. 
What is the meaning of this? Do you think it is every day that I give knighthoods? Can you possibly imagine that I simply toss knighthoods around the courtyard for men to pick at and pick up like chickens? Kier rolled her eyes. Spare me the histrionics, Kian. You offered me a knighthood out of a sense of moral obligation, nothing more. You think that's going to make up for you ordering my parents murdered? Kian scoffed. Is that what this is about? He made it sound as if it were as trivial as someone missing a lunch date. Your parents are alive and well. No thanks to you. From what I heard, it was the freakishly fast reflexes of an old man that saved them. Kian stretched his arms out wide. You humiliated me before that entire crowd. No, Kian, you humiliated me. At least you tried to. You thought that if you offered me a knighthood out of the blue in public circumstances that I would be too embarrassed to refuse. You'd have done right by me and would consider the matter history. Well, that might work with someone else, but not with me. Just because you're the Duke of Three Duchies does not give you leave to manipulate me. Kier gave him her back and walked away. Kian took some time to collect himself before rejoining the revelers. The head server from the great hall approached soon after to inform the duke that the hall would be ready for the guests in about fifteen minutes. Kian thanked her and went to find Alon. He found his wife inside the keep, seated on a sofa with several well-wishers paying her tribute. His heart swelled with pride that she was his beloved, her beauty and strength intact. He longed for their daily life to return to normal. He seated himself next to her and placed a hand on her knee. She covered it with hers. Moira, the castle steward, excused herself for interrupting. "'My lady, my lord,' Imogen has given Kier Halladin leave to remove herself from the House of Healing to a chamber in the keep. Kian raised his eyebrows. Since when had this been his concern? I wouldn't trouble you, my lady, but she has requested a special room, an upgrade to a suite, to make up for certain recent experiences, she said. I don't claim to know what she means by that. Kian opened his mouth to order her to tell Kier to go sleep in the stable if she didn't like the visitor's chambers in his castle, but Alon beat him to it. "'Of course she can have a sweet Moira. Give her the Trefeln room.' Alon's deep brown eyes met Kian's. "'It's the least we can do, don't you agree, my love?' He studied her briefly and understood. Kian could pretend he felt charitable for the sake of his wife. "'Certainly,' he reluctantly agreed. "'The least.' The path Bianca climbed was more established with her frequent passing. She no longer had to hack and slash through the bushes, though the warm weather throughout the summer had encouraged their growth. Bianca didn't mind as it kept the trail somewhat obscured. She breathed in the fresh scent of the forest and allowed it to calm the constant tension associated with the responsibilities of a village magistrate, especially a village in regrowth like Hrath. Bianca felt a great deal of satisfaction that with their new resource, those nearby towns who had donated goods were now being repaid through the purchase of lumber, seed, and equipment. The village's new layout, easily adopted since so many buildings had to be recreated from the ground up, would, she was sure, confound any attacker. Today she had begun the morning training sessions as always to keep her eye on the progress of Hreth's little army before leaving them in Tarkin's expert hands. However, her pleasure in the way her plans had been embraced by the villagers and were being brought to fruition so successfully did not smooth the jagged edges of her responsibility. Her visits up this mountain were the most effective way of gathering her thoughts. 
Standing on the hilltop and looking down over her village allowed her the perspective to plan better than any map table. And of course there is my new wing woman, Bianca thought with a laugh. This hike always served as a transition in her mood, bridging the responsibility of the magistrate and all that entailed with the freedom and joy of developing a friendship with a dragon. She began to sing before she reached the top of the path. By the time she emerged onto the bottom edge of the scree, her friend was waiting for her by the rock outcropping, hopping on one foot and flapping gently so as not to disturb the loose pebbles and cause a landslide. The rainbow colors of her skin and scales were bright even in the overcast. "'Good morning, Elage,' Bianca sang. "'Good morning, Mama,' the dragon sang joyfully, her blinking silver eyes illustrating her excitement. "'I can't wait to show you what I've been practicing.' Bianca climbed up the steps the two of them had dug into the hillside until she was uphill of Elage and standing in her sizable shadow. "'Have you grown again since last week?' Bianca sang. Elijah's chuckle was like the gurgle of a creek. She lowered her head so Bianca could stroke her under her soft, leathery chin. The dragon cooed and nuzzled her nose into Bianca's neck. Singing her gratitude for this friendship, Bianca turned and looked out over her village. The breeze of Elijah's warm breath on her neck was a balm that soothed, encouraged, loved. Bianca nodded. Let them come. Frederick Hayland, no, Hunter, adjusted the shoulder strap of his pack and nudged the flank of the horse he had stolen from Kian Barthelin's stables. After dumping Kier, he'd ridden aimlessly, but aimless riding had eventually become purposeful. His revenge, ruining her reputation, destroying her life as she had destroyed his, had been thwarted. Golgothar's evidence had proved faulty. He didn't even know for sure if he'd succeeded in murdering her. Maybe suicide's a more viable option. Golgothar had set him up. Hunter spat. I'll kill him. As soon as the words materialized in his mind, he dismissed them and cowered shamefully with fear of the dark man. Why had the lieutenant set him up? What did he stand to gain by it? Golgothar had suggested that Kier had the means of delivering Alon's necklace, and that part was true. The idea of framing Kier had been planted, and Hunter had been only too eager to jump on it. He never dreamed she could be proven innocent by a goddamn sketch. He'd been so close, but he'd wound up making a fool of himself. And where did it leave him? He reined in and the horse stopped, snorting. Slowly, hesitantly, he reached down to the pocket in his trousers. He had to stand in the stirrups to get his hand all the way in. It was deep inside. When he sat again, he looked down at the white stone in his palm. Rubbing it gently, he spoke the name. Golgothar. Golgothar was surprised only at how long it took for the summons to come. At Hunter's accusation of a setup, he merely shrugged. It was a good plan, but can one ever completely account for human behavior? One does one's best. He showed Hunter where to make his horse comfortable, then took him to the hall. Griok seemed unimpressed at the introduction, opening one eye a slit and puffing a little. Lord Dregor, on the other hand, seemed genuinely pleased to meet the new recruit, especially when Hunter knelt on the black floor before him and presented his sword laid across his hands. "'I offer you my sword and my service, Lord Dregor, Lord of all.' 
Dregor shrugged his brows at Golgothar as if to say, Why don't you speak to me with such reverence? Golgothar breathed on his pendant and polished it on his robe. We accept your sword as well as your service, his lordship said. Soon after, Golgothar left them to get better acquainted. Besides, he had one more errand. Golgothar had listened to Hunter's story of all that had happened at Barthelen Castle. One question remained in the tall man's mind. A moment later, a gate opened at the head of the Pine Ridge Pass. The lieutenant's eyes widened to see where the gate had brought him. Not a soul could be seen or heard, only the north wind in the trees and some crickets chirping, a smattering of little animals scurrying about their preparations for nightfall, a whippoorwill. He bent at the waist and kicked around the underbrush. There, slightly off the path, as if knocked aside by passing feet, Golgothar reached down and picked up the white stone. Kier Halliden's locator stone. He turned it over in his fingers and stared, unseeing, down the path. His mind's eye took him back all those weeks ago to a door which he unlocked and passed through. "'How are we today?' Golgothar said to his guest. "'Not as good as we would be if we were allowed to leave,' she smiled sardonically. "'Always such a cut-up. You bring a smile to my face no matter how bleak the world seems to me.' Then my life is complete, she replied sarcastically. Golgothar laughed and poured them each a beverage. They clinked glasses, he with a sense of fun, she with joyless resignation. To what shall we toast today? he asked. His guest waited. This was not the first time he had asked the question, and she was used to not being expected to suggest an answer. Shall we toast the future? So long as you envision a future where I get to leave. "'How about we celebrate a thing that is just for you?' Her face lit up. "'I get to leave?' "'You see, we can't all share in the joy of our bloodline carrying on into the future.' She nodded wisely. "'When one is stuck in a cell every day, it is difficult to form stable relationships.' He tisked her. "'I keep telling you this is not a cell.' She shrugged and blinked. I try to base my opinions on solid evidence. Speaking of evidence, as I was saying, you are a fortunate person. When were you saying that? I was speaking of bloodlines. Now, I have not had the good fortune to connect with a person who has done me the honour of allowing me to share my procreating skills, at least not to the degree where such partnership has resulted in procreation. You, on the other hand, have had that experience, that good fortune, if I may call it such. At least, I have been given the impression that such a partnership existed between yourself and another at one time. He paused, looking at her significantly. She did not smile. I have been in this cell so long I hardly remember anything that came before. He leaned forward and rested his chin on one hand. He tapped his face with his fingers and scrunched his brow, looking curious. That might explain something. She leaned back in her chair and raised her eyebrows, her lips pursed. In an earlier chat similar to this one, I learned, you may recall you were under some strain at the time. He sat up straighter and dropped his hand to the table. He gave her a self-deprecating smile. 
I came away from that chat believing that there was a small-scale version of yourself wandering the paths of Rydris, but strangely I believed that copy to have been a boy. Her face was devoid of emotion except for the tiniest hint of fear in the corner of her eye. And this is where I come back to what you just said about evidence, although I have searched Rydra's far and wide for twenty years for evidence of this boy-child. I have found none. However, strange though it may sound, I have recently discovered evidence of a girl. A tautness in her eyes and the corners of her lips betrayed her, but Golgothar had to admire her for her bravery and skill. "'Fear not. She is in good hands. "'She seems to have inherited your skill with the sword, "'not to mention your temper. "'You see, you have never behaved as someone who has nothing to lose.' "'He cocked his head and looked thoughtfully at the ceiling. "'I wonder if she feels the same.' "'Drops of liquid appeared on the bottom edge of her eyes, "'and she pushed away from the table. "'She stood up and walked away, head high.' Golgothar watched her, admiring how her body moved, how it healed. She hardly walked with a limp now. When she turned to him again, her hands were clenched in white-knuckled fists, and rage had etched lines and contours on her face. From that side of the room, a growl formed and burst out of her like a storm wind. "'Stay away! Keep your loathsome, feculent self away! Or what?' He rose, arms spread out in a dare. Or you will do what? She clung to the mantle and her body convulsed with rage. He turned to leave, hand on the door handle, he said, There isn't much you can do while you're stuck here in this cell. He closed the door behind him, shot the bolt home, and waited. Only when he heard her muffled sob did he reward himself with a smile and walk down the stairs. The guardian stared down the path in the Pine Ridge Pass. He shrugged, put the white stone in his pocket, and a moment later vanished. Kier set another log on her fire and hobbled back to her armchair. She placed her stockinged feet on the footstool and opened a third bottle of fine elvish wine from Kian's cellars. Her ire had abated to a point where her heart no longer beat the inside of her ribcage like a war drum. She wouldn't quite call it relaxation, but more like a numbness wherein at least she had managed to banish Kian's face to the back of her mind. She filled her glass wine goblet and raised it to begin yet another toast to Derry and Alon Mare. When the knock came on the door, it didn't startle her. It annoyed the hell out of her. I thought I made it clear I didn't want interruptions, she called. She completed the toast with a sizable sip. She had only just begun to feel a pleasurable tingle, and with the unwelcome arrival, the irate trembling of her hands redoubled. She stared at the leaping and crackling flames, determined that they would quiet her rage. Another swallow of wine washed down the bad taste in her mouth. Her solitude had lasted all of an hour and a half. A soft, familiar ahem echoed in the corridor outside her door. Damn! Was she ready to talk to him yet? Moreover, was he ready to hear her? All right, fine then, come in. The door opened. Valraker's silhouetted figure was framed by torchlight from the castle corridor. Gee, thanks. He closed the door behind himself, and his features clarified with her firelight. 
Guillaume took a large swallow of wine and glared at him. He waited in her entryway as if he were about to approach a bad-tempered badger. Don't be sarcastic with me, Valraker. Only a few days ago you complained about being left alone. Totally different, Kier snapped at him. I was being actively ignored. She swallowed her rising rage with another sip of wine. She hadn't invited him. Why did people assume they would be well-received? Now I want as little people contact as possible. She ought to be in the Great Hall celebrating the momentous occasion of Derry's hard-won and well-deserved rise. Instead, because of Kean's little self-serving ploy, she had to spare her friends her mood and the very real possibility that someone might set her off. Her fingers played with the red jeweled pommel of the sword that leaned against her chair. Valraker leaned against the door. He tucked a lock of black hair behind a pointed ear and folded his arms. Look, I know you're not altogether happy right now, but may I at least sit down? Kier had demanded a switch to a suite instead of a standard bedchamber in the visitor quarters, not because she needed or even wanted such luxuries as comfortable armchairs for entertaining guests. She had demanded it because it was the least Kian could do. The second least thing his lordship could do was provide the cart of bottles of fine elvish wine. She hadn't yet thought of the third least thing the high elf could do, but when she thought of it, she would demand that too. Kier nodded at the other chair. She picked up the bottle and topped up her glass. Her recently stabbed ribcage protested the movement, and a grunt escaped her throat. Val sat. Kier ignored him. She had no intention of offering him wine or making small talk or playing host in any way. Let it be known that he was not welcome. Can we talk? Val asked. Kier drank, annoyed that the interruption should take away from the rich flavor of the wine. So long as talking doesn't involve any further lectures, accusations, or near-death experiences, I suppose that'd be okay. Val grimaced. Forgive me, Val, but you must understand where I'm coming from. Kier winced again as she shifted her position. He laced his fingers together on his belly. Of course I understand. However, if we're to clear any of this up, we need to talk. Kier drank. She thought. She drank some more. She liked elvish wine. It tasted good. And though she never seemed to get tipsy as quickly as others, it usually helped her relax. She breathed air in through her lips and let it mingle with the wine to enhance the flavor. In truth, she wished for nothing more than to clear the air, for things to go back to the way they were before the mission began. But she was not so naive as to believe that was possible. God damn it, Val, all I want right now is to do what I'm doing at this moment. I don't know if I'm ready to talk or listen. You have a bit of explaining to do yourself. Then let me explain it, blood of Garen, Kier, he said with more than a hint of irony. With your crummy communication skills, it's no wonder you got yourself into such a mess. I didn't get myself into a mess. You need to get your facts straight. Haven't you listened to anything your captain has been saying? I have listened to my captain and everyone else, and if I'm ever going to get my facts straight, I need to listen to you. His dark gaze met hers and held it. She didn't look away. Which means I need you to talk to me, Kier. Please, upon my honor, I will listen. She scowled. Something in those gray eyes told her he was through with games. The Duke of Eckert was humbling himself to her, something a few short months ago she would never have dreamed of. 
Kier drained her glass and picked up a new bottle and a glass for Val. I'll tell you what, she pulled out the cork. Meet me at the bottom of this bottle, and then I'll see if I'm ready to talk to you. Valraker swallowed and lowered his glass. Just a mouthful remained in it. Looking over at Kier, he saw that she still had at least two swallows left in her glass. The bottle was empty. He watched as she stared into the fire and took another sip. She swirled the deep red richness around in her mouth as she had every sip before this one. She slurped air between slightly parted lips, savoring the enhanced flavor. She's going to make this last all night. He would have preferred to celebrate in the hall below along with the others, but Derry had understood, suggested it even, refusing to allow Val to put this chat off until tomorrow. Finally, Kier let the liquid dribble down her throat. At last she tipped the glass up so its bottom aimed at the ceiling. So, what have you— She stopped him with her hand. She wasn't finished yet. Only when she had parted with the final taste of ambrosia did Kier speak. It had taken them three-quarters of an hour to get through the bottle. Did you know Kian was going to offer me a knighthood? she said. Valraker was surprised at her first question, but he was up for it. I knew, he said. I tried to tell him it was a bad idea. Uh-huh. And do you have an equally eloquent answer for why you demanded I open a gate to Hrath, but then did not allow me through to see my own parents? Val's sigh could have extinguished a candle. <sighs> He'd known this was coming, and he shook his head. Sadly, no. At least, I have an answer, but not one that is likely to satisfy you. I'm sorry. She cocked her head, but still didn't look at him. I appreciate your honesty. I'll always be honest with you, Kier. I may not be able to give you the whole truth at times, but I won't lie to you. She turned and glared at him then. All right, so why haven't you spoken to me for the last three days? Why did you make all sorts of insinuations the other day, making me feel like a criminal? And while we're having it out completely, did you know all along that I speak dark elvish? And what are you going to do about it? Phew, is that all you wanted to know? His own temperature was rising in spite of himself. Did she think she was the only person he had to think about through all this? One thing I can tell you is that I suspected you spoke dark elvish. Now I know. And I intend to do absolutely nothing about it. He saw her relax, and only then he realized that she'd been on the defensive, awaiting his response to that question. Mostly, though, my answers to your other questions have to be the same as before. I cannot tell you now. For your own protection, he added inwardly. Great, she said with feigned cheer, turning to the fire again. Thanks for coming to see me. Kier... He began in exasperation. Honestly, she was confirming his suspicions all over the place. No, really, Val, it's been terrific to see you after all our weeks away. Another fine, meaningful discussion. Fine, I think you're Simrian. Shit. Kier's face froze. He withered beneath the icy shafts of her motionless stare. At least part, Simrian. I don't know why or how you're here and not with the rest of them. I don't know. Still, she stared at him. I didn't mean to tell you that, because I don't actually know anything. I haven't told the others. I can't trust that it won't somehow seep out, and I must not risk the enemy guessing something like this. Her jaw remained slack, and she continued to stare. 
Oh, for the love of all that is sacred and mysterious, please say something. If I have to open another bottle of wine, we'll be here all bloody night. She blinked, swallowed. Look, I'm sorry these few days have been so horrid, he went on. I'm desperately sorry I can't be more forthcoming. There are reasons, that is all I can say, mostly for your protection, and I beg of you to try to understand that. Some day, maybe, but not now. In an attempt at humor, he added, What do you want me to do to make it up to you? Offer you a knighthood? He expected a snort. She sent a startled glance into the flames. To you? To me, to prove that everything's all right. Sounds good. R really? He scraped his jaw off the floor. So long as you don't breathe a word to anyone. What's the point, then? He asked. I don't need glory, she said. I just need to know you're on my side. Val paused, not quite over the shock of this sudden turnabout. And it would please me no end to know you're on mine. She still studied the fire, trying to process his revelation or thrusting it aside to be dealt with later. He slowly brought both hands to his neck and unpinned the brooch he'd worn there for half his life. He lightly fingered the tiny tree of Eckert engraved into the silver before handing it to her. She looked at him quizzically. Derry received public recognition. That brooch is a symbol of our confidential agreement. If you wish to end it, you return that to me. She hesitated only a moment, then took it. Would you change your mind about this? She ran her finger over the tree. If I told you that I killed Ronav Malachite in cold blood, I sought him out on purpose to kill him, without giving a thought to bringing him before you and Kian. I didn't allow him a noble death. I toyed with him like a spider with a fly. He was afraid, and I laughed at him. I told him what I was doing as I did it, and it felt good. The glance from the corner of her eye was like a dare. Valraker was speechless for a moment. This has been bothering you a while. Since before we went away, I, I tried to come and talk to you about it, but you were busy, and then I thought, she bit her lip, that you might not want me on the mission if you knew how ignoble I was. She smiled a little. How long did it take you to realize what you had done? No time at all. As soon as I did it, I knew it was wrong. Val nodded and considered his next words. Kier, you are learning. You told me once that you were too impulsive. You can't train yourself out of that overnight, but you are learning. I have a feeling that if you had an encounter with Ronav now, after your recent ordeal, you would handle it differently. She nodded. Now, if I refused to employ anyone who had ever killed in anger, I would have a pretty slim roster. For the first time in days, they exchanged the warmth of a smile. Kier placed the brooch in the pouch at her belt. Can I borrow that? Kier indicated Val's not-quite-empty wine glass. She winked. So we don't have to open another bottle. He figured she'd had her fair share, but he handed it to her. She took a deep breath and closed her eyes. Opening them again, she mouthed a word to herself and dipped the fourth finger of her left hand, the weakest finger on her non-dominant hand, into the rich red wine and ran it slowly around the rim of the glass. Valraker soon understood, 
and as he watched her perform the ritual, he also watched a peace pass over her face and move through her body. She took the final sip, and having completed, at last, the toast to the dead for Ronav Malachite, Kier was at ease. Thalraker smiled at her and hoped she felt his pride. Now, he said, you do recall that there's a party downstairs that's been going on for hours. Shall we join it? She got to her feet, which were just as steady as if she hadn't consumed three and a half bottles of elvish wine on her own. Some day, she ventured, some day will you explain it all to me? He smiled at her. Slowly, he nodded. Some day. Will there be wine at this shindig? she asked. You better believe it. She took his arm. Let's go. End of Book Two Now, the final book, Gatekeeper's Revelation, is deeply in process. I will be finished writing it soon, and then I will need to take a break from it for a bit, and then come back and do revisions before it then goes into editing. It's a process, I assure you. Very soon, I will be podcasting my humorous contemporary fantasy romance, Griffin and the Spurious Correlations, beginning in a few weeks. There's definitely magic. There are no swords, although there might be a sharp implement. Uh, there are no elves and dwarves, but there are some guitarists and a lot of dessert. In the meantime, I have some fun stuff coming up, including a sampler of Griffin and a little taste of Gatekeeper's Revelation. And most exciting of all... Gatekeeper Fan Con 2021, the most fun you ever had at a virtual fan con with a bunch of characters. It's all coming soon to a Wednesday near you. I want to say thank you to all the people who helped me with this book. In particular, Mist Devanna, Jonathan Lister, Brenda Carr, Elizabeth Stricker, Stuart Hollett, Andrea Howe, and the late John Pitts. Special thanks to Brian Rathbone and to Peter Anderson for the serpent photo on the cover of the book. Now, I could never manage to do any of this without my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks, David and Sharon. Cheers to the original six. And once again, a heartfelt thanks to you, dear listeners. Now, go be fantastic. <laughs>